members that they service every week. Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, my name is Doug, and uh, again, if you're new with us, welcome. Glad that you're here with us. Before we uh, get into our message for the morning, I want to let you know that uh, a small group of us, a few of us, have um, really sensed that as this 2018 is coming, that we wanted to join together and do some fasting and praying, and um, then we thought, you know, uh, we're okay if it stays with that smaller group, but we also thought we don't want to miss the opportunity for any of you that might have something on your heart in the same way to join us. So tomorrow, New Year's Day, right here, uh, noon, we're going to meet right in this room for about an hour or so, and we're going to talk through just what we're fasting and praying for in this upcoming year, inviting you to join us. If you're like, what is this whole fasting thing about, or how do you pray even about some of these things, please come, and we'll do lots of question and answer. It'll be a, I don't imagine it'll be a giant group of folks, but there are five different things that we are sensing that we're supposed to focus, kind of targets for our prayer. So the first one is for uh, Pastor Paul's uh, health, and that God, yeah, that God keeps improving that. Yep. So want to pray about that as our top priority, but also we have some things that we really want to see um, develop and change in particular with our kids' ministry this year. We're going to have a new staff that we're going to be Hiring a team is hard at work right now on that. Uh, the third thing is our student ministries, which is being led by Evan, who's really um, bringing shape to that now, and so we want to pray. And also, uh, one of the folks in our group sensed that there were some things that God wanted to do to bring us even deeper in worship next year. So those are our five targets. Tomorrow, January 1, New Year's Day, right here at noon. Um, so I invite you to be here with us for that, and there you go. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for a new year, um, a new season. Thanks that you are with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, you were born, you lived and loved, you served, showing us how to live and love and serve. And then... You died on a cross, and, and we want to end this year taking communion together. Um, just as we begin each month and each year taking communion, we're going to do that at the end. And so, Father, as we do that, I pray that you would center our hearts on our grateful, um, the gratefulness that we have for what you have done, for how deeply you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, here we are, it's 2018, you know, just thinking about New Year's for the last few weeks, like, ah, where are we going to go with this? Oh, and by the way, ushers, will you guys go hand a card? As these cards come out, just hang on to them, we'll have something for you to do for them with them in a little bit here, just so everybody take a card and hang on to it. Um, <clears throat> these New Year's are a great time, though. It's a great time of the year where we can stop, it's kind of a road sign in the year where we stop, we reflect. We look back, and then inevitably we do what? We look forward. We wonder what's going to come, what's going to happen next year. Um, now that I'm getting old, apparently, uh, I, I love to think back on really memorable New Year's. And the most memorable New Year, come on, what was it for our culture? What was, anybody? See, It's a bit of a reach. Y2K, there we go, yeah, Y2K, that was it. Anybody remember Y2K? 
All the youngsters are like, the Y2 what? Yeah, no, uh, ask your parents. It'll be really funny. But people were freaking out. When we went from 1999 to 2000, people were going nuts. It was a complete panic. I was working at a, a little church. Um, I was only there for a short time. And they decided before Y2K hit to offer a little seminar called Y2K, A Balanced Perspective. You think it'd be balanced, right? Turns out the guy that was teaching this um, seminar had already, he was a physician, but he'd already sold his home and his practice in the Midwest, and they were moving into a compound in uh, New Mexico and had everything stocked up and ready to go, but he was the guy teaching us the balanced perspective, right? So, <clears throat> but here we are, it's 2017 today, and we look back at this last year and we remember, right? We, what kind of year was 2017, and maybe even what kind of couple of decades have we have, and, and lots of news outlets have looked, and, and you know, every year people look and, and say, oh, it was a terrible year, right? 2017 is over, good riddance, and some of us probably would agree, and like every year, what we're going to see, if you haven't already seen it starting today or tomorrow, we're going to be inundated with kind of best of and worst of lists. There's going to be politics and sports and finance and entertainment, who's hot, who's not, who's rising, who's falling, who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. And we look back, and 2017, uh, stories about, you know, the election were big for obvious reasons. Um, stories about North Korea, Turkey, Syria, ISIS. Uh, in our culture, not even that long ago this year, uh, Harvey Weinstein was a pivotal story. It's really a sad story for everybody involved um, and crazy that it took so long for this stuff to start coming out and more and more things are being exposed in, in ways that I think help make our culture healthier and safer and more respectful toward women. But as those juicy details started to come out about all of these stories, uh, it reminded me of something my friend Dave said and he was quoting Dallas Willard. Um, said, sin is boring, right? We get up all these juicy details, but it's, he says, it's just so boring because it's what everybody does, right? It's no shock that we are self-absorbed people. It's just common now. Then he said, but what would be interesting is if someone really learned to love somebody else. Now that, that would be a fascinating story. See, and I believe that he's, he's right, and, and that, that love is the only shocking act left on this planet. So we look back, 2017, and maybe some of us would say, yep, good riddance to 2017, let's bring on 2018. For a lot of people, it was maybe really a tough year. Some of us, it was a tough year because of financial things. Some of us had jobs that we lost. Some of us had pay cuts. Uh, some people maybe lost their home, maybe in this room, or you're fighting to keep the home you have. I just think about some of my friends and the difficulty for them, and maybe you too, was physical. Because some of you or your friends lost their health and strength. Um, Paul started the year great. And then a scan showed something that turned his world upside down. Um, some of you had relational stresses this year. Maybe you lost a friend, uh, maybe more than one. Some of you 
in a room this size we know, um, maybe your marriages or marriages of people that you know took a beating in 2017. And by the way, we don't need to be shocked about that kind of stuff. Like, the enemy hates marriage, has targeted marriage. It's one of the places that he loves to do what he does. does uh, the enemy loves to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does that toward marriage. Every married couple has issues to work through, but the enemy would love nothing more than to find all those footholds of resentment and just dig in deep, inflicting us with despair or doubt. So we're not surprised, um, but, but that's what happens, right? Marriages have suffered this year, lots of them. And, and as I look back on kind of that darker side, it raises a question for me, and and for me, it's kind of this question that comes up every January, and um, let me ask of all of us, you know, what kind of year was it for you? What kind of year was it for, for you? In fact, even though I've kind of started out here with some pretty negative spin, for some of you, this was not a bad year at all. Maybe for some of you, I know for some of you, 2017 was a good year. Maybe 2017 will be remembered as the year you or your kids got married, or 2017 will be remembered as the year that, that, that you became pregnant, or, or you had your first child or became a grandparent, and some of us know what it's like when that happens for that to be a miracle child. Um, that's 2017. We'll look back on fondness, right? Uh, some of us will remember 2017 as a year where some of us that have loved ones that fought and beat illnesses or diseases or, or cancer, and those things are worth looking back on and celebrating in a huge way. Maybe for you, 2017 was a year where a relationship was restored for you, or a marriage that, that a year ago when you looked at it was on the ropes and appeared to be in ruins was now in 2017, began to show signs of life, and so there was hope, and there is hope in your heart. Maybe for some of you, 2017 was the year that God brought some healing to you, where, where you faced things in your life that you never thought you would face, but, but you did. You pressed into it, and then you tasted grace, and you found some healing and freedom, maybe just a taste, but, but you look back and you go, whew, 2017, that's when it started. Some of us will have someone in our lives, or maybe it's you, that remembers 2017 as the year that you uh, came to faith in Jesus. And you'll look back and, and rejoice with them, or, or if it's you at that year, 2017 was that year. Um, so maybe, maybe some of you, 2017 was the year that your eyes were opened, the lights went on, you went from death to life. In some area of your life, you experienced revelation, a huge change for the good. So it could be all kinds of things, all kinds of reasons. Uh, your life, your health, your spiritual growth, your family, your friends, your marriage, your kids, your personal growth. You look back, 2017, whew, a really good year, and you are grateful, grateful. Because we're real honest here. <laughs> um, yeah, for some, yes. And others, maybe, as I've alluded to, not so much. Like, all of us have had good stuff this year. But some of us, that good stuff has gotten overshadowed because 2017 was anything but good. And he, for some of my friends, um, it was a divorce that they thought would never happen. But it did. You know anybody like that? Or the sin that you thought would never ensnare you has 
or the person that you thought would always be there isn't. Or maybe the job that you thought was so secure wasn't. So I guess for some of us, as New Year's hit, it can be tough because we look back, we remember, and some of what we remember is the good, but it's also the loss, and some of those losses were great. Could be things like your, your health, your spiritual growth suffered, your family, your friends, your marriage, your kids, your personal growth. For you, you look at it and go, Ooh, 2017 was a really difficult year. And maybe again, you would be like, yep, 2017, good riddance. So there's good, there's bad, but, but here's the truth, right? We, we tend to get drawn to one extreme or the other in, in how we remember things as we look back. But, but honestly, it's not been all bad. And it's not been all good because like every year, it's a mixed bag. Life is a mixed bag. It's, it's a mixture of good and bad, of sweet and sour, of decline and growth, of healing and wounding, of clarity and confusion, of victory and defeat. It's all mixed in together. And the truth is that that's, that's just how life works. But you already know that. Life is, most of the time, a mixture of things. Even Jesus, in his attempt to prepare his disciples for his departure, uh, Jesus alluded to this mixed bag reality of life when he told them the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the tares are the, are the weeds, the weeds, okay? Um, and so what Jesus is telling him, uh, he's talking about the kingdom of God, the story of God, this side of heaven. He's saying it's a mixed bag on this side of heaven. He's about to leave, and so he prepares them with this parable in Matthew 13, and he's saying, you guys need to understand that, that um, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven is it's like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, which is a good thing, right, then the weeds also appeared. And by the way, they're like phony wheat. They're false things. Verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? Verse 28. An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may pull up the wheat with them. So, so let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Jesus is showing something real simple here, that, that wheat grows and weeds grow. And the point, among other things, but one of the points here is we can't afford to be naive about the mixture of things. It's a mixed bag. Life is a mixed bag. It's the good and the bad all together. And until the kingdom of God fully comes, uh, this side of heaven, it's just going to be that way. Hebrews 11, verse 32, talks about this even more, illustrating that life is indeed a mixed bag reality. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped, <laughs> escaped, escaped the edge of the sword, 
whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Pull all of that stuff together. That's a really, really good year, okay? It's the good. It's the good stuff. But again, Scripture's really honest about this if we keep reading. And when we keep reading, verse 35 says, But others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So for that batch of folks, not such a good year. But in the whole of Hebrews 11, the good and the bad, it's a mixed bag, and it's easiest to get stuck on the bad, but there's good. There's a lot of good. And as we look back on this past year and getting ready to move to the next year, I kind of wonder when we do this looking back if this is where New Year's resolutions come about. For, For instance, right, you look back at the year behind you, you see the good things and the bad things, and we... We resolve to change the bad things, and when we do that, believing that by having a resolution, we can, in some way, control those things, Um, but the older we get, (laughs) we know the truth that regardless of our resolutions, and by the way, go ahead and make your resolution, there's probably some things each of us, you know, uh, could change, but but regardless, here's the truth um, about this next year. Even in the midst of our resolutions, 2018 is probably going to be a lot like 2017 in this regard. It's going to be a mixed bag. There will be bad. There will be good. Bad mixed in with the good. In all likelihood, as a church and as individuals, we're going to see some really amazing healings. Uh, uh, Some the kinds of healings that, that we're like, thank you, God. I never thought I would see the day when that was healed. Those kinds of healings. But we'll also experience some wounding. And I believe, um, this is part of why we're fasting and praying to get clarity on this, but I believe that there will be times of of deliverance for people in our church here where the Spirit of God will set you free from something that maybe you thought you'd never get free from, and that might actually happen for you this year. So that can happen. But even when that happens, there will also be in the middle of that deliverance kind of season, there will be a struggle as well. So there will be joy, there will be sorrow, there will be growth, and there will be decline. There will be senses of fulfillment and desperate senses of loss. There will be incredible victories followed sometimes by embarrassing stumblings. And what I'm trying to do for us is to stir for us kind of the uncertainty of of life. And I hope I haven't gone overboard and stirred a bunch of anxiety and fear in here for you, okay? Um, But I just want to say, even as followers of Jesus, um, there is uncertainty. See, we love to act, (laughs) sometimes especially as Christians, like that we can control stuff. We, we love to act or even pretend that, hey, listen, by following Jesus, you're guaranteed a happy little life. 
But Scripture doesn't promise any of that stuff. There's, there's wheat and there's weeds. And so just pause for a minute here in the middle of the message, and I want you to, in thinking about that wheat and weeds parable in Matthew where Jesus talks about those things growing together, I just want you to take that card we handed out, and on one side, we're just going to give you a minute, I just want you to, to name the wheat in your life. One or two, three things that you're so grateful for. Just take the card out now. Don't worry. You're not going to have to read it out loud or anything. Just take that card and grab a pen from the chair pocket in front of you and name the wheat, right? The things that you're really grateful for. And after you get a couple of those down, I want you to flip the card and name the weeds in your life. And those would be the things that you're fearful or anxious about. So going forward next year, what are the weeds? What are you fearful about? What are you, what are you anxious about? So just take your card. I'll give you about a minute here to do that. And um, Again, we're going to close in communion at the end, and I'll fill you in what to do with those cards. So keep them, so keep them handy, and don't worry, nobody's going to be reading them out loud, okay? So, but just take a moment, and what are the good things that you're looking forward to? What are the maybe scary things? haven't yet flipped the card and write the weeds part. I'll give you another 30 seconds here. Again, when we close in communion and the end of the message here, we'll fill you in on what to do with those cards. But think of these cards as the mixed bag of your upcoming year. And, and we realize there is uncertainty. There's good and bad. There's wheat and weeds. And so in the midst of the stuff that is unsure, what can we know for sure? Like as unstable and unpredictable as life is, and no matter how much we try to control it, what is it that we can stand on? What can we put our trust into? What can we look to when the winds are blowing and the storm is raging and the ups and downs are making us seasick? Because some of us wonder, is there anything that we can know? There's just so much uncertainty. Is there anything we can know for sure? Because <laughs> this sermon's really depressing so far, right? Um, only a couple of laughs. Okay, that confirms it is. All right, all right. Um, but here's the deal. I believe that the fact is that there are lots of things that I think we can know for sure. Uh, things that, that, that are strong enough for us to put our hope in, our, our trust in. See, see, hope is real, and hope is necessary. Living with hope for our future, it's like oxygen to our souls to have that hope. But some of us have been holding our breath for a very, very long time living without hope. And so I, I want to say that I believe there are some things that we can know for sure, and there's things that we talk about a lot around here as a community, and, then, and there's things that I think I need to be reminded of again, and things that we need to be reminded of again, especially as we get ready to launch into a new year, and as we go to the communion table, and we do this in light of the mixed bag of life, 
following this last year of uncertainty for lots of us. And, and here is the thing that just floated for, to the top for me of what we can know for sure, uh, what's going to hold us in the middle of the ups and downs, the wheat, the weeds, the good, the bad. And, and this is what came to my mind. It comes just from a chimp, simple children's song. It's Jesus loves me, this I know, uh, for the Bible tells me so. Amen. It's such a simple, simple line, right? So simple. And if you grew up in church, you know this song. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Um, But do we know? Jesus, let me do this. I know. Do you know? Do you know and do we actually live like we know that Jesus loves us and it makes a difference? I read a story um, a while back about a guy named Tom, and I'm going to read this story to you. And, and Tom had what is unfortunately all too typical of a childhood. He was the oldest of three, having a younger brother, younger sister. His parents divorced when he was five, and then his alcoholic father moved out. And after that, he would only see his father on occasion, and when he did, he was usually drunk and abusive. When Tom got older, he ended up joining the Marines, and while he was away his brother and sister were in a fatal car accident. They were both killed. Tom was given a short leave in order to attend their funeral. While he was home on leave, he went looking for his father to deliver the news of his brother and sister's death, and he had a hard time finding his father. When he did, he learned that his father had already died six months before and died alone. After the funeral, Tom reported back to the Marines. His life began to spiral downward. His alcoholism... Soon gave gave way to drug use, Um, and because of these and other bad choices he made, he ended up being dishonorably discharged from the military, and that means you forfeit all military benefits. And so all he could do was return home to his mother, who was living alone. They didn't have any other living relatives, and he got back home to his mother and found that she had begun drinking as well, and she had been a complete teetotaler her whole life, but after losing her two children and was alone. It was more than she could handle. So she turned to the bottle and there they lived, virtually in squalor together. They just barely had enough, you know, two pennies to rub together, but they could always find a little bit of money to inebriate them enough just for the day. And this lifestyle went on for several years until one morning, Tom was startled awake by the sound of a loud bang. He goes to the living room and finds his mother dead. So now Tom is alone in the world. He's a penniless drunk. He's hopeless. He's helpless. He's living day to day, just kind of not knowing where his next meal's going to come from. But somehow he's always able to get enough alcohol to keep him uh, where he wanted to be. And his meager social security check and handouts and panhandling barely kept the roof over his head. It was this house he lived in that was the same small dilapidated house that he had grown up with, lived with his mother in until his death. I mean, his was a miserable, a miserable life. But one afternoon, there came a knock at the door. No one ever came to his house, and immediately he wondered who was knocking on the door and what do they want. When he answered the door, there stood a nicely dressed man in a suit and tie. He asked what Tom's name was, and Tom told him. He told Tom, you need to come with me. And 
So Tom figured maybe he was in trouble with the military again, and so he obediently joined the man in his car, and the guy didn't tell Tom where he was going, and Tom didn't really ask. And they drove in silence to the downtown area where they ended up at a large office building. They got out of the car, and Tom followed the man into this large law firm. He asked Tom to wait in the waiting room, and after a few minutes, the man came back um, and led Tom into this conference room, the kind with the glass walls on both sides and this huge window that overlooked the cityscape. And he asked him a question. He said, um, do you know why you're here? And there were several people in the room, and Tom said, no. One of them asked, you are Thomas, right? Yes. Did you know that you had an uncle that resided in the Pacific Northwest? No, Tom said. Apparently, he was your father's brother, and he knew about you. Tom says, so what does that mean? Another lawyer in the room said, it means you are rich. Your uncle was a very rich man who passed away last month. You are his only living relative. He left his entire fortune to you, Tom. Tom, you are now worth $25 million. Tom was in shock, didn't know what to say, and so the lawyers went over all the details with him, told him he's going to start getting really large checks at the end of the month, and suggested he see a financial advisor, which Tom did. He saw a financial advisor. He had the money invested wisely. However, Tom did something really odd. He set up uh, his accounts so that all he would do is draw out very small amounts of money each month, just enough to pay his bills, buy food, and keep himself in cigarettes and liquor. He stayed in that same broken-down house with the same broken-down furniture that he had had since childhood. He, he drew enough money just to eke out an existence, and he just let the money sit there being managed by its financial advisors and lawyers, and those lawyers and advisors often, they were like, hey, listen, Tom, you know, buy a bigger house, get some nice furniture, like, buy some, some clothes. But Tom continued to draw just enough to get by. Uh, and he did this up until his death. Tom died a multi-millionaire who lived like a pauper. He never enjoyed his fortune. He just used it to get by. And that's a tragic story. A tragic story. He was a multi-millionaire, but he just used it, the story says, to get by. And when I read this, I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute, what? What? Like, all this horrible life, he has suddenly a chance for something else, and he does nothing with it. He just uses it to get by what is wrong with this guy. But then, I thought about this. I thought about how, in so many ways, we do this too. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, um, there are ways that we do this. We are loved so deeply, this rich fullness by a God who gave us everything. Like we have freedom, we have, we have the riches of Christ as Paul calls it in Ephesians 3, but we barely tap into it. We hear a phrase from the song, Jesus loves me, and we go, oh yeah, that's sweet, that's nice, right? <laughs> that's nice, like that's my response, oh yeah, that's sweet, that's, a no, 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 no. To say that to the news that Jesus loves me, that's like, that's like yawning at $25 million. That's like, oh yeah, yeah. See, we have this treasure of God's love to lean on. 
no matter where our lives are going, but we leave it there just kind of largely untapped. We never enjoy this, this fortune of God's love. We just kind of use it to maybe get by. We, we don't let it sink into our hearts and, and impact our realities. I, I mean, think about how you live your, your life. I've been thinking about my life and how I live it in this way a lot, and I'm just wondering what would it look like for us to live convinced about just how loved we really are. Like, what is it like to live loved? And you know, I'm so forgetful. <laughs> um, sometimes I get it, I remember this truth, oh yes, that God loves me, but, but then I forget and I need to be reminded again and again. And in some ways and at some small level, I, I do, I do know, I experience what it feels like to live loved by God, where, where even that line from the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, where that is powerful and moves my heart. So I do know what that's like, but then I also know what it's like when I don't live loved. Like, I, I know what that's like as, as well. And see, what happens when I don't live loved, I am so vulnerable to temptation. I, I just get so thirsty because I haven't drank from the love of God. It's like here I am with this $25 million fortune, crazy rich love, and I just swap it out for a lie. I live like the fact that God loves me makes no difference. And so when I do that, I live under a lie instead. And lies look more appealing when I've forgotten the love of God. Lies come in the form sometimes of, of temptations. And what temptation does is it waits until you're weak. It waits until we're feeling sorry for ourselves. Um, it waits until we've given ourselves permission to be open to the lie, the lie that we aren't loved by God or that God's love is not really enough or, or that our needs are not going to be met. And so we get fearful and then the enemy offers us things we'd normally not listen to but his Logic sounds plausible once our deprivation has kicked in. And when I get to that point, sometimes I have, it's been so long like, since I've tapped into the reality of living in the love of God that I am starving. And wherever I've left an opening, if it's there, it's a temptation. See, when I find myself not living in the love of God with that reality, I find myself internally saying things like, God, God, I don't think that you can satisfy me as much as that sin. Or, or, or God, listen, it's always been that way. It has always won, and I don't believe that you are powerful enough to change that. Or, or shame speaks and says, oh, listen, God, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Or we look at the bad that's happened in our story and we just go, God, I don't really believe that you've been good to me. But, <laughs> but, but, but when I am trusting that I am loved by God, hey, then that temptation stuff still comes, but it doesn't look nearly as attractive. It doesn't nearly have the same power See, see, fear stops ruling my heart. Fear subsides, and it is displaced by the love of God. See, when I am living in the love of God with that awareness, and I'm in touch with it, instead of the ways that I respond to other people where, 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 I, where I'm just struggling with all these folks, I stop trying to control people. When I'm living love, I stop trying to change others. I, I stop making snide comments 
I resign my job as judge, as judge of other people. I resign that thing. I give up trying to fix everybody else. I, I stop telling people from other backgrounds and perspectives what they should do because I can relate to them, right? Oh, no, you should do this. No, no, no. I give all that stuff up, and I set aside my fears, which, by the way, is what the news and politicians even prey on our fears, and they raise up this fear that pushes us apart. But when we set those fears aside, we center in on the love of God, then we can actually love other people. See, I get filled up with the love of God, and then it overflows to the people around me, and it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't just affect me. It gets spilled out onto everyone else. Now, let, let me clarify I don't, I don't want to mistake this living in the love of God or living love as the key to a perfect life, okay? Like it's some sort of fairy dust to sprinkle around where you're just protected by the magic of Jesus and you're free from pain, okay? <laughs> See, God's goal, again, it's not to make your life work smoothly. That's not God's plan. His goal for you is, is to keep you from annoyances or setbacks or conflict or pain. And preachers who say this... <clears throat> They have to ignore lots and lots of the Bible to preach that message. See, here's the deal. God's goal, God's desire for you and for me is to grow us, to mature us into beauty and to do it through these things. He, does, he grows us through the mixed bag. Like He wants to protect your heart and make it thrive in the midst of mixed bag seasons of good stuff and bad stuff. See, God doesn't want us to be out there just trying to have some sort of idealized world where we imagine we can produce some sort of utopia that, well, listen, if God really loves us, we'll have a charmed life where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. See, that's not what he's up to. And when we chase after that and make that kind of life our goal, when we demand that stuff, then we resent the life that we have. We resent what's right here with us. So I believe that what God would have us do is call that sort of idealized world of everything's beautiful, nothing hurts, I have no problems, to call that thing a lie, a dried up well, to turn from chasing after that stuff and to trust God so that we can have a purpose and a joy in the world that is. See, just like God doesn't dwell in the past or in the future, um, God does not dwell in or long for the idealized utopian world. God only lives in the real because that other fantasy world is an illusion and, and, and we get sick when we direct our attention in longing for that all the time. When we long for that stuff and chase all that idealized stuff, it keeps us from accepting that, that, that we are able to live loved by God right now in the middle of this real world where, where sometimes stuff is messed up and confusing and disappointing. John Lynch said something really profound about this. He said, God wants you to let him love you with this spouse, in this economy, in this home, job, handicap, in this unresolved problem, the life that you have now as disappointing and hard as parts of the life you're in right now might be, the life that you have now is not your second best life. It isn't. You choose to make it inferior or to make it beautiful. So it's your call. It's your call. 
So learning to live loved, this reckless trust that God really loves you more than you dare imagine, that's the invitation extended to us. And like that $25 million guy, it's, it's right there. So living that way or not, it's your call. So what if that was the thing you looked at a year from now? You look back on 2018, we get to the end of the year, we're ready to go into 2019. You look back at the high points, the low points, the mixed bag of 2018. But what if the shining beauty for you as you look back at this coming year, was, oh yeah, 2018, that's the year. That's the year that I started learning to live loved. That's the year. 2018, yeah, the lights came on. It started to dawn on me that really I am loved by God deeply and profoundly. I can stop striving. I can be free from resentment and bitterness. I can stop going to these empty wells of addiction that leave me so much thirstier. I can let go of destructive self-protection, I can live loved. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something to look back at this? Ryan, will you come? So after all the kind of reality checks of this message, this sermon, again, what can we know about 2018? Here's what I believe we can know. That the God who led us in 2017 will lead us in 2018. We can know that the God who spoke to us in 2017 will speak to us in 2018. That the God who fed us will feed us. That the God who healed us will heal us. That the God who equipped us will equip us. And the God who filled us will fill us. And most of all, that the God who loved us will love us right in the middle of the mixed bag that life is, the good and the bad, the pain and the joy, Jesus loves me, this I know. And as we move now into communion, I believe that there's nowhere that that is more clearly shown and stated than at the communion table. So we're going to invite you in a moment to come to eat the bread.